The psalmist has waited patiently for the Lord, she says. This is not, however, a mild-mannered, polite waiting. It is rather an intense waiting, an expectant waiting. It is not the wait for the school bus, though it may be a chilly morning. It is not a wait for the kickoff to the big game. It is a visceral, unsettled, unsettling wait, a keeping of an intense vigil across time. The time may be hours, but they feel like days. The time we may mark with days, but they feel like months. The time may feel like decades, but it feels like centuries. In fact, I may well say that this psalmist speaks for a people that has been waiting across centuries for God's deliverance from the pit. Let's find the psalmist. Where is she? She says, I have been in the desolate pit. I have been in the miry bog. I like the other translation in our order of worship, the slimy mire, the slimy bog. She has fallen to the bottom of a well, damp, mossy, covered in darkness, and she waits, however patiently, she waits intensely on her tiptoes, stretched out, arms open, eyes wide, waiting for anyone, anything that might be able to draw her up or propel her to the surface. Now to be true, She could have landed in this place by her own doing, by her own choices, mistakes, or even mortal sins. It may be that she's fallen headlong over stones that she set herself and forgot about in her carelessness. It may be that we can identify with her in this place, any one of us. How many of us would be ashamed to count up the stones that we've set for ourselves over which we've fallen headlong into some desolate situation that we could not extract ourselves from? How many of us have have known what it means to reap what we've sown of poor choices, of harsh words spoken that can't be taken back? of long silences, forgivenesses that have not gone returned or offered. This is the desolate pit. I imagine she describes it this way because it is so lonely. It is as lonely as standing in the midst of, the, of a dune, a windswept desert. No sign of life. She may call it the miry bog, the slimy pit, because she feels like she's stuck. Even with knee-high boots on, she has to muck her way through a thousand-acre swamp. Perhaps it's best, she thinks, to stay put and wait. 
There's nothing she can do to extract herself. She can only lean in to God for help. Do you know what it's like to be able to articulate your life in this particular way? And do you know what it's like for God to respond? Does God respond? The psalmist testifies, indeed, yes, God responds. And God not only responds audibly, but God leans in, she says. God hears. And then God sets to work. God, she says, lifts her up and sets her on a crag, a rocky outcropping. God establishes her on a new footing. And God does one more thing. God gives her a new song to sing. The old song that echoed up out of the desolate pit, the miry bog, the cold well, has served its purpose and now God has given her a new song to sing. And I want you to imagine someone really good at singing this time. <laughs> if, you, if you come here often, sometimes I, I sing and... <clears throat> No one has ever compared me to Jennifer Hudson. But I want you to imagine Jennifer Hudson coming up out of the desolate pit and singing something like, I'm telling you I'm not leaving. Which no one else can sing but her, I think. She sings for a new freedom and with a new freedom. And she sings in such a compelling way, in fact, that others begin to sing along with her. The psalmist says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that's the line that comes right after she says, God, put a new song in my mouth. She sings so beautifully that others are, are magnetized by it. They're drawn to her song. And they begin to join a chorus. I want you to know, if you are able to trace the contours of this particular stanza of the song, you find yourself in a, a desolate pit, a miry bog, a cold well, whether you've fallen in there or you jumped, not knowing what the consequences would be, I want you to know that your prayers are not in vain and neither is your waiting and that God's character described in this psalm is true. God does lean in. God does hear. In our waiting, God responds. And in our having fallen, God lifts us up and sets us on a crag and a new footing. And yes, God even will give us a new song. So keep waiting expectantly, not politely, but intensely and keeping the vigil. And know this good news, just knowing that you might be in that situation is good news to God's ears. Because it lets God know that you know that there's a problem and that you're waiting. That's one way to read the psalm and that's one way to imagine a character who has taken on these words with flesh. But I, I want to take a turn here on this special weekend and wonder if it also this this voice speaks for not only herself, but for a whole people. 
And the reason I want to say that is because I believe this voice does speak in such a way, more broadly than even to her individual self. She speaks for Israel. Because Israel has gone through this long wait. And even after they were delivered, they were submerged again into wilderness. And they had to wait again 40 more years. And that's the story of Israel. A waiting for God, a God answering and then being submerged back into a pit again, waiting for God again. Whether it's by the powers outside or by their own fault, Israel is involved in this centuries-long wait and struggle with God. So I wonder if this weekend we might translate that to the voice of an American, an African-American, who speaks for a whole people who've been waiting across centuries for God to answer a cry. I think particularly of the enslaved woman whose name I believe has been lost to time, but the story endures of the day that she found out that she had been freed from her enslavers. And when she found out, she was standing on the porch in front of white people and everybody. And she took off her apron and began to do a dance and sang, I'm free, I'm free. Is that the voice of the psalmist? Does it translate? Another character I offer is Albert Woodfox, a black man who was imprisoned at Louisiana State Penitentiary, one of the worst prisons in the history of mankind. Eat your heart out, Gulag Archipelago, Siberia. Not this place is nicknamed Angola because it's built on the very kind of plantation that enslaved people from Angola once worked the land. Albert Woodfox was released in 2016 from the desolate pit, from the cold well, literally, quite literally. He was freed from solitary confinement after 43 years in the hole. Not in a jail cell. In solitary confinement for 43 years. Eventually, the case the state held against him fell apart and he walked free. I'm going to go back to that number again. 40 Three years. And he writes the psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. People would write to Albert over the years and ask him how he endured this harsh treatment, which we would call torture, in a humane society. He, he would write back to them and he would say, I turned my cell into a university. I turned it into a debate hall. I turned it into law school. And he would get one hour a day, one hour a day to go out into the yard. And the way he used that hour was either to exercise or to teach others what he was learning in his cell. And that's how he... That's how he survived, day after day, year after year, all by himself in a six-by-nine 
solitary cell. And now that he's been released, he's singing a new song for others. And he's calling on younger generations to get involved and to learn about American history, to get involved in their communities, to get involved in politics, to get involved in church, to get involved in faith, to pay attention to what's going on in the world, he says, because the reason that people like him must endure solitary confinement for so long is because people don't know. So we have to learn. Where might, we find, where might we find voices of psalmists in our very midst, in our very own time? Well, here is one, Albert Woodfox, who calls to all of us with a new song. Wake up, pay attention, this is happening. You can have an effect and you can make a difference. I also think of a community in song, not just an individual psalmist, but the community for whom the psalmist speaks. Years ago, I was at a Martin Luther King Jr. celebration in Greensboro. We were in a church, and it was an evening gathering. Uh, what you might imagine, uh, compelling speakers, uh, stories, songs, hymns. One of the hymns was one with which I was not familiar at least at the time. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the title of the hymn, Lift Every Voice and Sing. I was standing beside my friend, and I noticed that while I was reading the hymn, you know, we sing, sing the hymns, I was reading the hymn. My, my, my eyes were glued to the page because I needed to know the words because I couldn't lift up my eyes because there wasn't one word I could miss. It was new to me. And I'm sitting there just head down singing. And my friend beside me doesn't even have a hymnal. In fact, he's not even looking straight ahead. He's looking up. And he's belting out this hymn all from memory. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. And just as natural as the day is long, he sang. I stopped reading. I started listening to him. I was mesmerized. After the service, I leaned over. I said, how do you know that song? I never even sung that song. You knew the whole thing by, by memory. He said, you don't know that song? I said, I don't know the song. He said, man, that's the Black National Anthem. I said, I never heard of the Black National Anthem. He said, well, you just, you just sang it. I said, no, you just sang it. <laughs> it's a time in our nation for those of us who don't know this song to lean into it. To lean into the suffering that gave rise to it. To learn the meaning of a of a phrase like, stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod. To submerge ourselves 
and the knowledge that may be foreign to some of us. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears. Where does that come from? I want to learn. And it's my responsibility, and I'm speaking as a white person, it's my responsibility to learn. To learn the history. To take the word of a man who's been delivered from the desolate pit and has commended to me and all of us to learn, to pay attention to the history and the ways that we've been divided, cordoned off from one another, the ways we've been compelled to abuse one another. And I speak mainly of white abuse of black people across the history of our country. It's a white person's responsibility to engage our history and to learn and to know that as we learn, God waits to give us a new song to sing. I'll tell you one more. I was riding with a friend in college. We were riding down the road listening to a song. Her name, Sarah. Sarah was the daughter of a black woman and a white man. And so she lived between these two worlds of race. And I learned a lot from her. And one of the things I learned from her this night is we're riding down the road listening to an R&B song. And she's driving. I'm in the passenger side. And she's going like this. Just to the beat. And I'm going like this. To the beat. And she said, uh, you know, you white people nod your head wrong. I said, what am I doing? She said, you're supposed to go like this on the downbeat. You go back on the downbeat. And I'm going like this on the downbeat. She said, no, you don't do that. <laughs> and so she, she kept going, nodding her head. And I tried to get in sync, not so well, but tried. Eventually, we were, we were in sync. And it felt good. And in fact, it felt like I was dancing correctly to that particular song. And I felt more of the music, the way that I was nodding my head because she taught me something. This bilingual person, if you will, biracial in America is to be bilingual. She taught me a new word from a new language and it helped me. What do faithful Christians like us, what do we do in this time today? What does God enable us to do? God enables all of us to be drawn up out of the miry pit that we have fallen into and that we have jumped into and that we have pushed others into. To lament and hope for God to set us all on a new footing and sink together for white people to lean into the poetry of the black national anthem, James Weldon Johnson's, one of perhaps his finest. To lean into the poetry, to marvel at it, to learn from it. What is it that I hope black people will keep doing? Singing. Singing this new song, 
so that one day I might actually get the right beat and learn something new because my salvation is contingent on their history and their salvation. And I still have a lot to learn. God gives us church now to sing together and to know that we may come here and suffer together, white and black together, and to suffer in Christ's name, to sing new songs in sync with one another. And I'll tell you on this special day, I know of no more brilliant reason to sing.